Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. As a church, we are to be spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers impacting and influencing the next generation. I was uh, having coffee with a friend not too long ago, and she said, hey, I, I saw that you and Mike are going to be teaching this parenting series together. And I said, yeah, we are. I said, but there's a guy named James Hawkins who's going to be coming, who's a counselor in that area. And I think he has five kids, maybe six. Once you Lots. get past four, you, can't, you lose count. Um, but also we have our like, very own a young couple here at Grace Point Church, Jeff and Lindsay Reddick. He's a, he's a counselor. They have a great family. They're going to be sharing with us too. And then she said, that's really good because, I mean, like, you and Mike aren't archaic, but it was like, but, but what? We're old. <laughs> She's not wrong. <laughs> we are old. Like, we raised... Um, we raised our kids, we would put them to bed at night with music playing on cassette tapes. Uh-huh. And if we wanted to find activities for them to do, we didn't Google it. We went to um, these pieces of paper that were called the yellow pages uh-huh. in this very thick thing called a phone book. Uh-huh. And so, yes, we are a little bit maybe historic in our parenting. We started parenting in the 1900s. You got to remember that. <laughs> So here's the thing is we, we try to keep up with the best tips and tricks for parenting and so on and so forth. And no, we don't have littles at home anymore. But what we do want to do is we want to go to a timeless book that has timeless truths. No matter what generation, 1900s before or now, that you find yourself in. And we want to put this major disclaimer out there, Okay. Uh, been in pastoral ministry, missions ministry, uh, for 33, four years, something like We're that. We're too old to remember. Too old to remember. Number. We're archaic, remember? Uh, and I cannot remember that we've ever done a series on parenting. I think because of the intimidation factor. It's like, we aren't perfect parents. We don't have perfect kids. Who do you think you are up here telling us how to parent kids? Uh, parent, parent the next generation. And, and so I want to bring the, the, the level of expectation down as low as I can uh, to just say that we're imperfect, you're imperfect, we got imperfect kids, you have imperfect kids. Hey, we're in it together, let's try to figure it out. And there are no silver bullets, all right? There's no one way to be a perfect parent, but there are hundreds of ways, thousands of ways you can be a good parent. And we want to zero in on those. And we want to zero in on timeless truths. We want to be rooted in Scripture. So we're going to turn to the Scriptures every single week. We want to be relevant. We're going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly of our experiences and just how we've taken the gospel and brought them together. And so you know, and in case you didn't know, we're grandparents. If, you don't, if, you, if you're new here, you're checking us out for the series, then let me introduce you to our... Now, we have three kids, by the way. They're all married to incredible people. They're all walking, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, and we love that. Um, and, uh, but we have perfect grandkids. Nearly. Near, no, they're perfect. Uh, we'll and so here's a picture of them in all of their perfection. Um, 
And so they get, they get this side after uh, Grandma or Mama Lori. Uh, so uh, anyway, the, uh, the, the truth is, is that they're not, and we do actually have another photo of another grandbaby that's uh, on delivery. Uh, you see my chin, you know, the profile there. You, the double chin, is uh, the that? Double, the right? double chin, okay. yes, thank Got you. It. All right, we're even now. All right. Uh, Ed, Ed Asner says it like this, or said it like this. He said, raising kids is part joy and part guerrilla warfare. You might be in the guerrilla warfare season right now. You might be there or you might be in the joy time and you might be at the same time uh, in those times. But here's the thing. Again, disclaimer, disclaimer. You can do A and B and C in the right order and end up not getting D, but getting Z uh, or something out there. It's like you can do everything right and see your kids veer off course. You can do a lot of things wrong and see your kids walk with Jesus. And so at the end of the day, every child, every person makes their decision about whether or not they're gonna walk with Jesus. What we can do as parents is be intentional. I know it's an overused word, but be intentional about parenting. So if you are intentional about parenting, that assumes that you have an intent with your parenting. Where are you, grandparents, where are you great-grandparents? Where are you aunts and uncles? Where are you big brothers and big sisters? If you've got that level of influence on the next generation, where are you as parents? Where is your intent? Where do you want to see your kids? What are you doing right now that is intentional? What plan do you have? What vision do you have for the next generation, okay? And again, if you're single in this room and, or you're married or about to get married or something like that, and it's like kids are so far off, that's okay. Now's the perfect time because you want to be choosing a person that will align with you on parenting. I have seen it in this church where a couple get married, love madly in love with each other, start having kids, and because they were on different pages on the whole parenting schema, uh, they go like this. And so it's very real that you gotta have these conversations on the front end and really lean into what it means. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna draw in a little uh, Stephen Covey here. I want us to begin parenting with the end in mind. So this is great. If you haven't, don't have kids, begin with the end in mind. If you got, uh, uh, you got two-year-olds, begin with the end in mind. If you got teenagers, begin with the end in mind. Listen, you can't go back and correct or do over the past, but you can start right where you're at. And so start where you're at, look to the future. What do you want? So I, here's a, here's a homework for you. You're gonna get homework every week. Here's the homework this week. What is the vision? What is the next generation vision that you have? And I want you to write it out. I want you to take time, pen on paper. I want you to think it through. What is it that I want to see of my children? Now, just to kind of give you some primers, okay? There's no certain right, wrong way to do this. So it's, again, it's your kids, it's your, it's your vision for the future of your next generation. But this is biblical. Because when God was talking through Malachi to the people of Israel who had gotten off course, their marriages were kind of, uh, and their parenting was uh, even more so, this is what he reminds them in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? What does God want from your family? Godly children. 
If you put it into one word, if you put it into two words, if you build out a sentence, what is the end in mind for you? Listen, we've got to get to the future on purpose because we won't get there on accident. People don't just wake up one day, I'm going to follow Jesus. There's a whole lot of other noises out there if you haven't figured that part out. There's a whole lot of other things buying for the next generation's attention and affections and love and devotion that if we're not careful, the next generation will miss it. So we have got to be very intentional. In fact, Kara Powell says this in, in uh, one of her books, again, one of the books that we, I would recommend maybe you pick it up, and that's a sticky face. She refers to 50% of the people who go to church, graduate from going to church, and go to college, walk away from the faith when they get to college. It's a sad reality. Barna comes behind it with studying 22,000 different people. And they came back with the same finding that about 50-50, flip a coin, whether or not that child is going to continue on in the faith. John says it like this. This is a great vision statement. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Listen, it's one thing to have aspirations that your kid makes a certain grade on an ACT. Great, go for it. It's another thing for them to desire that they make the traveling team to travel here and there. It's another thing that you want them to go to Harvard and to get into Harvard. Listen, I am less interested in Harvard than I am heaven. I am less interested in them making the traveling team than I am them traveling with Jesus every day of their life. As you're thinking through, how do you articulate, articulate what your end vision is? Like be able to put it succinctly maybe in one sentence, maybe at most two. And here's why. We want you to keep it simple, and we don't want you to overcomplicate it with all of these lists of things because what begins to happen is that the laundry becomes mountain high and the calendar gets crowded and there's a whirlpool of all these things that your kids need and the school project is new and the kids, it seems like they're always sick or they're always crying or they're always arguing or they're always needing and they're always wanting something. So our emotions are always on edge until we find ourselves in the closet with the doors closed for about 4.7 seconds of sanity while we're devouring a bag of chips mm-hmm. until little friends like, or hey, uh, little fingers start like slipping under the crack under the door going, can you see me? Right? And all of a sudden what we're doing in that room is we're thinking this, what am I doing? Am I failing? Am I succeeding? And so as you do your homework, as you do it together, come up with a completely simple, uncomplicated statement for what your vision for parenting is. Let me tell you a few things that sometimes what we think parenting is, but, it, but it's not. Sometimes we think of terms of this, what I want for my kids. And while that statement isn't necessarily inherently bad, what ends up happening is this, is what we want for our kids is for them to fit in or to have what I didn't have. I heard a mom say this not too long ago. What I want for my kids is as I want them to have more than what I had. And the thing is, is is while there are things we do want for our kids, if we're not careful, what we end up doing is we end up creating these kids and parenting them in such a way where they're just chasing the American dream and we want them to fit into American culture, but we're just going to put a little bit of Christianity on top of it to sweeten them up a little bit. Parenting is not thinking um, in the sense of what we want from 
our children. And this is a thought sometimes that we think maybe subconsciously or unconsciously in the sense of what I want from my kids is for them to achieve what I didn't, for them to do the things that I didn't do. Or what we want from them is to to validate something, some emotional need within us. And that isn't what parenting is intended to be. We also think sometimes that parenting is we own our kids. But if we look in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3, it says, children are heritage from the Lord. And so what we want you to do is we want you, as you're making this vision, as you're crafting this statement, to use scripture as your basis, because the scripture is clear. We are all created in God's image. We are told to multiply and fill the earth with what? With more image bearers of God. And so we want to raise them up in a right way. So what we're going to do today is we're going to open up the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy is perhaps one of my favorite Old Testament books. The very title, Deuteronomy, simply means this, second law. And so it would be easy to think that when you open up the book of Deuteronomy, that it's just filled with all of these laws, and it's pretty much a rule book to follow. But it is so much more than that. Because while there are laws that are sandwiched in Deuteronomy, on the edges of Deuteronomy, the beginning of it, end of it, what we're seeing is a relational God who desires for his children to know him. And so what Moses is doing as we, get, as we jump into this passage, he is giving like this rally cry, this charge to a brand new generation of people who are about to go into the promised land. And so it's almost like this scrapbook where he's painting all of these pictures of what their parents did. What God did with their parents, how God delivered them out of Egypt in slavery, how God parted the Red Sea, how God led them by a cloud and by fire, how God provided manna. And in all of these things, he's also contrasting their parents' heart, which was often rebellious. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pick up reading in chapter chapter 6, verse 4. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This passage and the passage, the verses that follow are what is called the Shema. And here's what I want you to know about the Shema is the Shema was significant. What would happen is that the Jews would take these passages of scripture and they would pray them twice a day, morning and at night. Till even to this day, Jews will still pray this verse, the Shema. But also, when Jesus was asked by a Jewish ruler, what is the greatest commandment, what did he quote? He quoted this verse right here. To love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So while it is Judaism, it is also the core of Christianity. The Shema is significant. The Shema is also this. The Shema was for all. At the very beginning when it says, hear, O Israel. Yes, he's going to go on and he's going to be saying, teach these things to your children and to your children's children. But when he's addressing them, he says, hear, O Israel. And the reason that this is important is because when Mike and I say, hey, this series isn't just for parents. Like, we're not just simply trying to be inclusive or we're just trying to be polite. What we're trying to do is to model what scripture teaches that we all, as the church, have a responsibility to influence and impact the next generation. 
the Shema was also countercultural. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we could make two simple statements from that. One, there is only one God. Yahweh Adonai is one. There is only one God. There are no others. But the second thing that we can see in here is it says this, that this one true living God is our God. There are no others. And it's countercultural, and it's important that Moses is saying this to this new generation because their parents and their grandparents had lived in Egypt where multiple gods were worshipped and served, and now they're about to go into the promised land of the land of Canaan where the people are worshipping multiple gods. So he's saying, look, the Lord our God is one. The Shema is purposeful. Sometimes we just think of rules and regulations as if they are only for us. But God has so much bigger purpose than just Israel, or even just this generation going into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses says this, Look, I now teach you these decrees and laws as the Lord commanded me. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord God is near us? These rules and regulations weren't just for them. It was so that other nations would see the God whom this nation served. The last thing about the Shema is the Shema demands action. And maybe this is the most important thing to say about the Shema Because literally when it says, hear, O Israel, that word hear is literally Shema. Shema, Israel. Shema, the Lord is one. Shema, love the Lord with all of your heart. And when he says Shema, when he said it's translated here, sometimes in our Bible, it's translated obey. The reason is because in the Jewish language, to hear was to obey. Mm -hmm. To listen was to have an immediate reaction. It's kind of like when you tell your kids, hey, I want you to clean up your room, and 10 minutes later, where are they? They're still sitting there in their room, and it isn't cleaned up. And you get frustrated, right? Because you know they heard you, but they didn't take action. So he is saying, listen, O Israel, Shema. This demands your complete listening and action from you. And it is also not just complete, it's immediate. Remember, we said we want to be rooted and relevant. We're rooted in Scripture. We're relevant for our day-to-day. There is not a single passage that I can think of in the Bible, anywhere, from Genesis to Revelation, that if you want to have a blueprint, a plan, you want to get some framework to parenting, both now and into the future, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we're at today. So that's how significant it is. That's why we're starting this series with this. And so I want to lay some framework out. Uh, for this, and we're going to be real simple. This will make sense. It's, again, this is that relevant side, to, especially if you're a teacher. We're going to talk about a scope of our parenting. We're going to talk about a a a, um, a scheme in our in our parenting or sequence. It, sequence, sequence. That's right. Sequence starts with an S. Yeah, it starts with an S. Sorry, I just lost it. And, and then lastly, there's going to be a strategy, a scope, a sequence, and a strategy to our parenting. So let's look at our scope first of all. Um, when you think about this, 
you just read the passage or you just heard Addison read, read the passage, uh, verse 2, when it calls us to, to having understanding of the scope and how far out and how far wide, how far, how deep is, is this supposed to go? Let's talk about the, the width of it first of all, okay? It's to go from this generation to the next generation to the next generation and to keep going to future generations. So if our faith is not being passed down, then there's something broken in the process. Psalm 102 verse 18 says, let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. And we have realized this, we've said this, we hear this, that there is, Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. Everybody, Louis Palau said it like this. He said, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Everybody must make that decision to follow Jesus. I must give my children, my grandchildren, I got to step into this and make sure they get every possible opportunity to come to faith and knowledge in Christ. And again, I think about it in multiple generations. Uh, Chapter uh, two, uh, verse two, it says like this. You may fear the Lord your God, you your sons and your son's sons. You can see there, it's building out how wide is this supposed to go? Your sons, you, your sons, and your son's sons. But notice this in chapter four, verse nine. Make them known to your children, so you know them, you make your children know them, your children's children, that they may teach their children. Four generations there. So again, and my, is my faith being passed down? How wide is it going to go? How far is it going to go out? And then there's other verses, and I'm not going to have time to read them, but you can see how Deuteronomy, God is calling, calling us to a multiple generational passing on the faith. Mm-hmm. I think of no better example than this in the New Testament than a guy named Timothy. Paul was being discipled by, uh, Paul was discipling young Timothy. And in that passage of Scripture in in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, this is, what, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Notice this. There's no father mentioned. It's believed that, that he had a Greek father. Timothy had a Greek father, and there's reasons for that, and I won't go into them today. But the reality is that he, he had a Greek father who wasn't a believer. Mother, grandmother were believers, and it was mother and grandmother who helped disciple him up in the faith. Multiple generations making sure it gets passed on. The scope is how wide is your faith going to go. The depth, how deep is your faith going to go. Are you just looking for compliance? Are you just wanting your kids to do what you want them to do? Or do you want it to be in their heart? Do you want it to be deep inside of them? By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, be careful to do them. This is a part, this involves a heart level commitment that I'm, I'm going to be a part of this. This is going to be how I'm going to live out my life. It's going to shape my worldview and my character. It's not just compliance, it's changing who I am. In fact, if you take Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, the Great Commission, go to all the nations, make disciples of all people, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, teaching them to observe. Where it says all nations, put your family in there. Go to your family. 
and make disciples. And baptize them. We're going to baptize them in a few weeks. Baptize them and teach them to do all that I've commanded you. See, it, it changes our worldview. It changes how we live. So here's the question I have for you. And this is homework. I'm going to give you homework every week. For the next two weeks, I want you to think of what are 10 values that I want my next generation, my kids, my grandkids, if you're there. I want my kids and grandkids, I want these 10 things. Now, in our bulletin, in our online bulletin, you can scan this QR code and you, you, can, you can see a master list. Again, master list, I shouldn't say that. An, an incomplete list. It's a list. It's a get you started list. And here's what the list is, okay? Just so you see it when you get there. It's a lot of things. But if you only have 10 things, take a picture of this if you want. It's, all, it's also online. Here, here's, here's the, if you only could choose 10 of them over the next 18 years that you have your children at home, what are those 10 things that you want your kids to leave the house with at a character, at a worldview level? The scope of parenting is not just right here and now. It is this generation into the next generation into the next generation. And it is not just surface level compliance. It is at a hard character level. If the scope is wide and deep, focusing on this generation, but also the next and the next and the next, there's also a sequence that this takes place. And this sequence is answering for us, like, how do I do this? When do I do this? Where am I supposed to do this? So let's pick up reading in the verses. It says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Before we jump into the entire sequence, I want you to see first where it overflows from. It says in scripture that from the heart, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we're teaching our kids, it's not just simply because we have it here, but rather because it's the overflow from here. The scripture goes on and it says this, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Like that's a lot. So let's just ask this question. What are we supposed to do? The verse simply says here, teach them diligently. Teaching is not just transferring information Teaching involves experiential learning. What we do is we often think of teaching as as formality, as it's a formal kind of thing, like a class, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, please have that kind of thing with your kids. We want to have that kind of thing here even at Grace Point Church. Formally, pray with your kids before they go to school every day. Let it be a scheduled thing. Formally, Memorize scripture with them before they go to bed at night. Yes, absolutely formal, but it takes also the informal. Because I will tell you this, it will be the informal times of discipleship that happen more often than the formal if we will leverage the opportunity to take, to take with them. So if we looked at the list, it says, talk with them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Basically, in every ordinary moment of every ordinary day, we want to be intentional with our kids. And they're not going to say, hey, I want to learn from you. Hey, can we spend some quality time together? Hey, I want to absorb everything that you know. 
But our middle son came really close. So as I was going through the attic this week, actually, I came across this letter that he had written. He and Mike were about to go to Kansas City to a baseball game. And I know Mike's intent was just to give Caleb an experience of baseball that Mike loved so much when he was growing up. But Caleb, Caleb was very intentional about what he wanted during this time. So he makes a list of everything he wants to talk with dad about on this trip. We were going to Kansas City. So we had four hours there or three hours there and three hours back. We had lots of time. Number one. Girls. Fun. He's 10. Number two, the Bible, which you almost would expect from a preacher's kid. I know. I get it. Okay. Three, places, which I have no clue what that even means. Four, solar panel cars. <laughs> because he had a dream to build solar panel cars. So certainly dad knows everything about solar panel cars. Five, hunting. Six, history, and seven, this one is my favorite, how things work. I still haven't figured it out. I don't know what how. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, right? How things work. But these are the things that Caleb wanted to spend time learning from Mike. Like in his heart, he wanted to be able to absorb. Here's what we want to do. We, we've provided for you a card. And parents, this is just like, it's just an outline. Really, it's just a little bit of inspiration This isn't going to get you from A to Z with your kids. But what it is, is we took all of these things and we said, all right, morning time. Instill purpose in them. Drive time. Spend time interpreting life with them. Meal time. Establish values. Talk about them. Your best tool is asking questions. Let me just insert that. Yeah. The meal time is a lost thing Mm. in the home today. Mm -hmm. Reclaim it. Yeah. Bedtime. Build intimacy with them. There's so much I know that we could say about each of these things. This just gives you some cues to be intentional because here's a life principle for you. The most important discipleship moments with your children will seldom show up on a calendar. We have to capture moments every day to talk about God, to teach them, to pray, to let them see God being lived out in us. That word moments We get it from the same word where we get the word atom. And if you think about an atom, it's a molecule that is so small, we have to have a high-powered microscope to see it. But it is so small that it can also just completely be overlooked. We're unaware of them all around us. But if we could harness an atom and then split that atom, it would create an atomic reaction that would rearrange the landscape of everything around it. That's the kind of parenting, that's the kind of moments that I'm talking about. The kind of moments that we can just completely overlook them. But if we harness just a small moment, it has the power to rearrange the landscape of your child's heart and soul, their very life, and ultimately generations beyond. There's a video that keeps showing up on my social media feed, and it was like, this is so appropriate. So I thought, we'll just show it here today. Huh? Yeah! Oh. oh. <laughs> it's the kind of video you want to rewind and watch it again, right? Here's the thing. Like, that kid, he can't read the scoreboard. He, doesn't, he can't interpret the referees, decode all the referees' actions and motions. What is he doing? He's simply, in his very small way already, he's examining, he's assessing, He's learning dad's behavior, he's imitating, and he's mimicking 
dad's behavior. Listen, the most important Bible teacher, the most influential theologian that your child will have will be mom and it will be dad. Psalm 145 verse three says this, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. But one generation removed from the people that Moses is talking to who go into the promised land and the very next generation we read of in Judges chapter two when it says this, in all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they went after other gods. God does not have any grandchildren. He only has children. And us making sure that each generation knows Jesus, knows the things of Jesus, walks with Jesus, his character forming is absolutely fundamental. We've got to have it. Listen, I want to say it again. Start where you are. You cannot fix yesterday. You're not going to be a perfect parent. Start where you are. Build these practices. This is the scope. This is the sequence. This is how I'm going to do it. And let's talk about strategy real quickly as we land this plane today. And I want to say this because it's like, where, where do you go? We want to, again, make it practical, some handles to hold on every single week. And so, you know, there's so much out there if you want to look for resources. We've got our, our, our pick of resources out in the gallery. Stop by, look at them, all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. There are 30 thousand books on Amazon or walmart.com, wherever you get your books, uh, that are out there right now that you can go learn all the tips and tricks. If your kid has an eating problem or a sleeping problem or an emotional problem or uh, whatever, fill in the blank, there's a book out there for them, okay? Gives you tips and tricks. This is not necessarily what this is all going to be about. This is going to be looking at the scripture and letting it shape and form us. But here's the thing. If I'm going to have better kids, I've got to be a better person. I've got to make sure my heart's right. Because you're going to hear this a lot. It's caught more than it's taught. And we have got to model for them. So notice again what he says in verse 5 and 6. The challenge before you go into the teaching mode is to make sure your heart's right. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I've commanded you today, you shall have them on your heart. Notice the heart, the heart, the heart. Notice this. It's, it's, it's you first before it can go to anybody else. So Lori and I, okay, what's one thing you can say about a strategy in your life? What's one thing I can say about a strategy that's helped me, I think, in in parenting? And this is my one thing. So take it or leave it. Keep a hot heart for God. Each word is very important. Keep. You can lose it real. Your heart gets cold. It gets hard. Keep a hot heart for God. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest you depart uh, from your heart in the days of your life. Listen, keeping that diligent heart for God, keeping it aglow, keeping it on fire. Listen, 
life principle for you. Number two today is the light that shines the furthest in the future generations shines the brightest at home. If I want to shine far into the future, I got to shine really bright right here in my own heart. And, and you know, two things that I, I would say that help me keep my heart hot for God is I got to make sure he gets my first and he gets my best in whatever it is, time, talents, treasures, whatever it is. He gets my first, he gets my first moments of the day. He gets my first day out of every week. He gets my first dime out of every dollar. He gets my first thoughts and every consideration. He gets my first, he gets my best. And also keeping godly people who will speak truth to me. Keeping him in my life. There was a season in my life when I did not have that. I did not have one another brothers. I have them now. I keep them. I cherish them. I nurture them. I want to be the same thing for them. We're, we're, we're kicking off some Bible studies this, this next week. Literally tomorrow morning, authentic manhood is kicking off. Guys, if you don't have guys in your life that you can speak truth and will speak truth to you, here's, here's your opportunity. We create environments. You come and bring yourself. Other, other men bring themselves, and we hopefully make that connection so you can have those relationships. And we're not talking about Andrew Tate manhood group or Walter White manhood group. We're talking about biblical manhood. What does that authentic manhood look like? Then there's also a new group starting. uh, It's literally starting next weekend, and it's raising passionate Jesus followers. It's a small group. You're not in a small group? This is an opportunity. Like-minded people, get into a group. All of this is out there online, and I just want to encourage you, find those one another brothers that you can connect with. Also, in two weeks, uh, the women are going to be gathering for a time of really like being together in the word, a time of connection, a time of learning and growing together. So on April 29th, there's an opportunity, women, for you to be a part of that. I highly encourage you to do so. Let me give you my strategy. You heard Mike's strategy. This was the number one thing. We're talking about strategies that came to my heart and my mind, and it is this. Let the gospel invade the mess. Let the gospel invade the mess. And I don't, yes, it can apply to the mess in your kids, okay? Because I know I hear from moms, my kids are a hot mess, right? I'm talking about our mess as parents. Because I do know this, that parenting is this never-ending quest into the fires that surface all of my inadequacies and all of my insecurities and all of my sin. And God does not intend for you to be tomorrow the same parent that you are today. He doesn't intend for you to be the same parent next week or the same parent a year from now. He intends for you to be transformed. And so what happens is this mess surfaces within us. It's those moments when the kids do something. And it's maybe down here, whatever it is, but your reaction is up here. And maybe it's unkind words that come out or it's a level of anger or a level of impatience or a level of bitterness or a level of unforgiveness. And this is where we want to invite the gospel into our mess. Why? Because if the gospel meets us here in our inadequacies and insecurities and our sin, then we experience forgiveness. And when we experience forgiveness, we experience grace. And when we experience grace, we experience mercy experience mercy, we experience God's all-out love. And when that is what begins to filtrate our heart, 
then we become not just people who display, but we become dispensers of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. When it says at the beginning here to love the Lord your God with all your heart, know this, that that word love, it's so much more than an emotion. It is a diligent devotion, an intentional decision that I'm going to conform every part of me, including my will, to a God who with ruthless determination is pursuing and shaping me so that I can shape the next generation. We, uh, there was a time when I went to pick up my kids from school. They were in three different schools, all three of them. And we got home, and I had a project that I was working on. I was overwhelmed. I was stressed. I was somewhat frustrated. So we get home. The kids go do their things. I go into my room. And Jordan, it's not long before Jordan comes in. And she says, Mom, what's wrong? And I said, there's nothing wrong. I'm fine. And I just kind of like shut her down. And I don't know if there was a powwow taking place outside the room I was in or what. But then Caleb comes in, and he says in his own words, Mom, are you okay? Yes, Caleb, I'm fine. I'm just working on a project. Well, then the baby comes in. The five-year-old little blonde-headed cuteness comes in, and he's like, Mom, are you okay? And before I could even answer, he crawls up into my lap, and he puts his hands on my face, and he says, let me see your face. (laughs) Like, he didn't want to know verbally, are you okay? He wanted to see the display of what was really going on. And what he knew was the audio that was coming out didn't match the video that I was displaying. And so I want to ask you a question, and isn't it meant to prompt guilt or provoke anything like that, but to provoke growth? And I don't want to ask it in such a big way that we give a dreamy answer, but I just want you to think the last 24 hours, your life, interactions with people around you, including your kids, What you say, how you act, how you reacted, how you respond, what you did, what you watched, did it commend and complement the gospel or did it conflict and compete with the gospel? Because if we are to love our God with all our heart, with all our soul and all our mind, it means this, that we are going to love him with our whole being for the duration of our whole life. If I could reverse the order of those, I would start with letting the gospel impact your own mess. Listen, we've got, we've got closets, we've got containers, we've got corners of our life that it's got darkness, it's got addiction, it's got hurt, it's got shame, it's got abuse, it's got times when we've lost it with our kids, times that, that wounds that we're carrying through life. We all have this messed up self. And if it were not for the grace of God, There would be no hope for us. But whenever his gospel, his good news impacts my mess, I walk into the forgiveness and the mercy and the love. And then I'm new. Listen, I don't want to lose that. I want to have a hot heart for God. Good, bad, or indifferent. Lames are good for me. I want that hot heart for God. Let the gospel impact your mess. I cannot help but think about Timothy. Poor young Timothy. Didn't have a dad who was a believer. Made that clear. Had a mom and a grandma. And had Paul. Paul was pouring into him. And I love that statement. I am reminded of your sincere faith. 
Where did Timothy get that from an imperfect family? You might be looking at yours right now going, I'm, I'm a divided home. I'm a single mom. I'm a, I'm a single dad. I'm trying to do it right here. I don't have... Listen, you might have the next Timothy in your home, but what's that going to take? Is it going to take the perfect mom and dad, beaver, cleaver, white picket fence kind of home? It just takes godly people in front of you because it was a faith that dwelt first in grandmother who then dwelt in mother that got passed down to Timothy. Start where you are. Let the gospel impact your mess and keep a hot heart for God. Would you bow your heads with me? Have you experienced that gospel power grace of God? Let's start there. I said start where you are, start there. Tell Jesus right now in prayer, say, Jesus, I need that gospel. I need your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness. I need it. I want it. I want you, Jesus, to invade my mess. Warm my heart for you, God, that I'll be passionate for you. That I'll give you my first and my best all the days of my life. Tell him that. You're here and you've like gone off course. Maybe you're, you're feeling the shame of not being the perfect parent. Listen, embrace his grace. Father God, you know who we are. We cannot hide from you. You know every person in this room, Lord, whether they're, they're a teenager or they're, they're, they're in elementary school or they're in middle school or they're grandparents. Maybe they've never had kids but they get to influence the next generation with a hot heart for you and a sincere faith. Father, I would pray that you would help us to know you, to love you, love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we can go into the next generation and make sure they get the faith that was once delivered to us. Lord, we love you. We bless you. And in this space, Lord, we're going to give you some space to do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.